Good morning. Good morning to all you joining us online also. I pray that God moves mightily in your homes today. Um, I want to just segue a little bit on what Dave was saying with this newsletter. There's always a challenge to communicate with the church's size. And so, um, for instance, in this last newsletter, um, I'm doing a series of, of, of short articles on what it means to pray, and I think that's really incredibly important during this uh, time, that we are people who pray. And so you can go to that linking and get on. Uh, we also this uh, started this in this uh, uh, article, this newsletter is talking about who is the board, introducing them to you, how do we do the board, what does the trustees do, what do the elders do, kind of thing, and explaining it all so people will know. Uh, we're trying to figure out ways to get you that information, so it's a really, really handy tool to use in that regard also. Um, we are on week two of our summer series entitled Ordinary to be extraordinary. It's ordinary to be extraordinary. Um, And we're learning vicariously from some Old Testament examples of what it means to be a true follower uh, of God. And today we're going to look at what it means to be a valiant fighter um, for the cause of Christ. And I want to be really abundantly clear, even as we begin this message today, when I use this terminology, being a valiant fighter, I'm not talking about physically fighting. Okay, I'm talking about being engaged in the spiritual warfare that is afoot. Pastor Ryan shared a message I thought that was really timely a couple weeks ago when he talked about um, uh, what, what do the people of God need to be doing. We need to be praying, praying, and praying. Amen? Two, we need to fight. And three, we need to unite. And so today's message is really going to focus on what does it mean to be a valiant fighter for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's super important that we grapple with this, the times that we are in demanded of us. So in 1988, a movie series began. I don't know if you're a movie buff. We tend to watch some movies, some good, some bad. You know what I'm saying? But in 1988, a series of movies began called Die Hard. Anybody watch the Die Hard movies? Bruce Willis? Yeah, um, he's uh, this John McClane and all these movies. Uh, they, they made five of these in totality all the way into the 2000s. A um, couple probably would have been enough, but you know, this, you know how I'm going. It's kind of like the Rocky movies. They just never end. But at any rate, um, I always love the kind of the general theme of, of the movies is that uh, John doesn't want to be involved. He's a reluctant hero, and he's in the wrong spot at the wrong time, and things just happen to him, and he gets all beat up, but he's in it. He has to be in it because it's just enveloped him. And I feel a little bit like that's what's going on with us right now as the people of God. We are in a battle whether we want to be in it or not. It's enveloping us. It's, it's taking us in. And we can say, I don't want to be involved, but we are involved and we may be reluctant, but it's time for us, like John McLean uh, did and you know, Willis did, we just have to at some point say, I'm going to engage. I'm going to be part of what's going on here. I'm going to do the battle that God is calling me uh, to do, even if it's reluctant. Do you re- resonate with me at all this morning? Because some of the topics that are coming up right now, I don't want to even talk about. How about you? I, 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 I don't want to be overly focused on sexuality all the time. Who cares? Follow what I'm saying? No? Yes? Because you're so quiet, you're just eerie. Like, I'm just tired of it all. I mean, that's where I'm at. I, don't know what you, I, I think frequently, what now? Anybody with me on that? I, and it's just like the whole world's going crazy. And I'm thinking, okay, is there uh, my, you know, any, any kind of common sense left here at all? At any rate, now I'm, I'm 
getting off. Um, so we're in the spiritual battle, and I want to talk with you for a few moments on how to be a valiant fighter. Um, so I have this opening question for you to consider today, and it's this. Are you willing to be a valiant fighter for the cause of Jesus Christ? Are you just willing to engage? Will you stay faithful and obedient uh, to Jesus no matter what? And then the example we're going to look at is um, the example of Benaiah found in uh, the Old Testament I want to say this before I get into this example. Edmund Burke, I don't know if anybody know him, but he's, he's got some famous quotes. He said this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And then he goes on to say this, when bad men combine, the good must associate, else they will fall one by one, an unpitied sacrifice in a contemptible struggle. And so I think it, that, that it behooves us to understand that God is calling us to engage and to be a factor for doing good in a culture that's going astray very, very uh, quickly. So we're going to look at Benaiah from 2 Samuel chapter 23 and read verses 20 through 23. Listen to what is said about this character of the Old Testament. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Jabziel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched a spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was, a fam- uh, was as famous as the three, uh, three mighty warriors. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. So some short scripture here on this obscure person in the Bible, but he has a lot to tell us. The story is super insightful on what it means to be a valiant fighter uh, for the cause of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at some characteristics today of a valiant fighter. So this is really a different message. All right, are you all right with that? We're going to talk on the courageous side of our faith today. We're going to talk on the risk-taking side of our faith, what it means to be the valiant side of our faith. And I think that's really, really important for us to grapple with uh, in the days that we find ourselves. So here's the first characteristic to embrace. You are willing to take on the enemy's best. If you're a valiant fighter, you are willing to take on the enemy's best. In the King James Version of the Bible... It says that Benaniah uh, slew two lion-like men, okay? Benaniah took on the enemy's best. We can just summarize it. Would you agree with me on that? He took on the enemy's best. He was okay with that. So I want to take a short tangent here because oftentimes when you read a Bible story like this, you think, who were these Moabite dudes? Do you ever do that? Who would they come from? Well, they're the descendants of Moab. <laughs> Does that help you any at all? So then where did Moab come from? Well, he was the child of Lot and his eldest daughter. And you go, oh, that doesn't sound good. Well, it's not really good. Let me explain what happened here. Lot and his family were living in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God was going to render judgment on these two cities. And he said to Lot and his family, you get out of here. And I'm going to show mercy on you and your family. And so Lot and his wife and his daughters were exiting Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you know the story, probably a lot of you do, Lot's wife looked back. They were told not to look back. Just get out of there, don't look back. She looked back, but that looking back was more than just, I'm glancing back to see what's going on. She looked back longing to be back there saddened that they had to leave. So judgment came upon her. 
that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah also, and she turned into a pillar of salt, we're told, and so she died. And so Lot and his two daughters escape the judgment that God brought on Sodom and Gomorrah. They end up living in a cave. They're living in fear. They don't know what's going on. The two daughters begin to say to themselves, what's going to happen to our family line? How are we going to carry on? And so they took turns getting their father drunk and lying with him and creating kids that way. And the eldest daughter and Lot then had the child Moab. And that's where the Moabites came from, okay? So now you kind of know where the Moabites came from. Now the Moabites and the Israelites clashed frequently and sometimes they were buddies. It just kind of, their history was kind of this back and forth kind of thing. But lest you get too kind of going, ooh, God is a God of great redemption, Amen. So what I find fascinating is the book of Ruth is about a Moabite woman named Ruth, right? And we see her coming to God in this great faith, and we see the redemptive hand of God. Even though she had this really sketchy family lineage, God uh, you know, responded to her faith, and she married Boaz, and she becomes part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Isn't that how our God works? What man messes up tremendously, God can restore and renew. I just, I just love that about the, about the Lord. So anyway, uh, Benaiah took on this line-like men of Moab and defeated them, okay? So here's our application. Be willing to be a valiant fighter against the best the enemy can dish out. Just be willing to be a valiant fighter against the best the enemy can dish out. Engage in the battle that's afoot. But realize this. We don't battle against flesh and blood. I'm going to say it again. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We, want, we tend to, to make people the villains, don't we? But we've got to understand we're battling something far greater than that. Recently, in our Ephesians study uh, that we did and completed, we realized that we don't battle against flesh and blood. And I want to really make that point again today in this message. We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5 through 5, out loud together. Some of you think, why do we do this? I don't want to read out loud you know why we read out loud? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so sometimes when you read out loud, what you're basically doing is speaking faith back into your own being. And so I, I'm one of these kind of guys, if you see me walking around, you'll see me talking out loud. I'll be quoting scripture out loud. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we're going to read this scripture out loud together. You ready to read it with me? So here we go. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Amen? Yeah, I'm hoping that you at home are reading this out loud too. I I want you to engage wherever you're at today. I love how this scripture that we just read begins in the King James Version of the Bible. It begins this way. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And as we learn from our study here that we just completed in Ephesians, Ephesians 6.12 further defines the battle. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So our enemy isn't flesh and blood. Our enemy is principalities and wrong arguments and wrong thinking and pretensions that set themselves up against God. And our enemy ultimately is the source of these things, which is the devil. That's who you and I are called to be a valiant fighter against. Amen? Right? 
when we have to engage, the battle is upon us. We can be reluctant like John McLean, but I tell you what, we are in the battle, amen? Whether we want to willingly engage or not, it is there, and we're going to probably get bloodied up some. One of the things I notice about all those Die Hard movies is by the time the movie's over, the guy is blood from head to toe. He always comes out somehow okay, upright. I'm thinking, no way you're going 60 miles an hour in that car and hit a bridge and roll around and come out of that okay. Amen? I mean, come on now. There'd be fractures. And I mean, anyway, you know what I'm saying. That's why I watch the movie, but I don't really watch them. But in ancient biblical times, when two people were going to have a covenant, make a covenant. Say, Kirby, you and I were going to make a covenant. At some point in that covenant making between the two of us, there would be a willingness to take on one another's enemies, but also we would exchange weapons in. I would give you my weapon, you would give me your weapon as a symbol that we're going to fight together and your strength becomes my strength and my strength becomes your strength, amen? Well, when we become a Christ follower, we have this covenant relationship with Jesus. Our strength becomes his strength, his strength becomes our strength. We come out way better on this deal, amen? Would you say amen with me on that? Right? We get way more than we give. Because I tell you what, when I'm doing spiritual warfare with the devil or whatever, I can poke them really good. Poke, poke, poke. Right? Have you ever been poked by somebody? It's just basically annoying. It doesn't do a lot of damage. It's just kind of like, oh, whatever, you're just annoying me. So maybe, maybe we can annoy them a little bit. But you know what? We have this secret weapon that's called Jesus Christ. And he has a cannon that can obliterate the enemy, that can raise the enemy, that can just destroy, just demolish the strongholds of the enemy. And so when we engage in this thing called spiritual warfare, it's basically saying, big brother, Jesus, here you go. Amen? And all we got to do is be prayed up and be faithful and trust in the equipping of our Savior to do the work that we cannot do. Amen? And that is the battle we're called to engage in. And first of all, like Ryan said here a couple weeks ago, when we are truly going to engage in what's going on in our culture and going on in our lives, whatever we're coming up against, pray. And then when you think you prayed enough, pray. And then when you don't know what else to do, pray. Stop frequently and pray. I think part of the reason God's people tend to be powerless is that we just don't pray. We just don't cry out to our God. We don't rely upon him to do things we can't do. I don't know about you, I'm frustrated with what's going on, by and large, it seems like anymore. And what I have to do instead of being frustrated is what? Pray. Pray to God. And then we fast. We do these spiritual disciplines. We encourage one another. We stand on the promises of God. Uh, and his word then becomes our weapon, like we talked about in Ephesians. His word is, is, is strong and it's powerful. That becomes our weapon. And then, I tell you what, an untapped-in source is the Holy Spirit. Amen? We are filled with a power from on high. We no longer live, but he lives inside of us. I was reading a book here recently, and it's talking on some of the things that are going on in culture and also talking about some things that have gone on in the past. And I was reading about some of the Russians' history and and the the Bolsheviks and some of that kind of stuff. You guys remember any of that stuff that was going on and all that? And I, I was really taken aback when the author said and quoted from an ancient Russian Orthodox mystic. And when we hear the word mystic, we all go, oh, no, no. Well, in, in, in Christianity, especially in the ancient times, mystics were just people who were very spirit-led, okay, by the Holy Spirit, amen? 
They're not necessarily what we think of as modern-day mystics, okay? Anyway, this mystic said this, and it just struck me. I read it. He said, I am convinced that one person filled with the person of the Holy Spirit can affect thousands of lives if he's truly filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. And I begin to think, you know, the battle that's afoot, what if we just had a church full of people filled with the person of the Holy Spirit to the point where that he truly is dominating our lives and that we're truly reliant upon his power? Could we not be valiant in that regard and do the battle before us in a whole different way? Amen? There's all this power available to us. I think we just need to step into it and be willing to use it in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, Beniah illustrates another really important characteristic of being a valiant fighter, and this is the point number two. You learn from and are encouraged by the examples of other valiant fighters. Oftentimes, we can learn so much vicariously by just looking at other people. I remember when I first became a Christ follower, I came from a family that was pretty messed up. And I remember watching Tom Stewart, the pastor. He was married to Susan. I remember this so well. He had a couple small kids. And I watched him, how he treated his wife how he treated his children, because I had never seen that before. And I probably asked some dumb questions. I did. Like, you really like her, don't you? Uh-huh. I said, so you're happy to be a husband? And you, I just never seen it. You know what I mean? And so I'm newly married to Vicky. I don't know what in the world I'm doing at all. And I remember just Tom took me. I didn't know he even took me under his wing. He was, he was mentoring me. He didn't call it that. And we would go running together, and he'd talk to me about things. And all along, now, now I know, oh, I know what you were doing now. But at the time, I thought, he must have thought I was an idiot. Because I just asked him, the, like, the stupidest questions, like, you know, about kids and about his wife. And you, like, kiss her in public, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Okay, you know what I mean? Stuff like that that I just didn't understand at all. And I think sometimes you have to understand, we learn so much from other, what I call, valiant fighters. Benaiah followed the example of King David. Wow, did he follow the example of King David. It's not a stretch to say that he was inspired by his beloved king. Let me zoom in on two examples of why I say this. First of all, Benaiah killed a lion. Sound familiar? Who else killed a lion? King David did. The Israelites are lined up against the Philistines and they're all nervous about this big giant Goliath that's saying all kinds of things against the Philistines. And David can't take it after all. He's just a young lad kind of visiting the front lines, going back and forth. And at one point he goes to King Saul and says, I'll go fight him. Nobody else will. I'll fight him. And Saul's saying to, to this, this young ruddy boy, how can you possibly face off this giant? And David says, I have faced off the bear and the lion. I've killed them both in my shepherding duties. This Philistine is no different from them, for he has spoken against the armies of the living God. Amen? And, and so David, we know, killed a lion. Evidently, Benaiah really wanted to be like David because he just went down in the pit and did it. It doesn't give you any explanation. I mean, what do you, was he walking along and said, oh, there's a lion, I'm going to go kill it. I, 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 there's no detail here. Amen? And he went down in a pit and did it. I don't know about you, that gives me the will. Well, I won't say it like that because I'm not supposed to say that. It, it, it makes me nervous, all right? Now you're wondering what I'm not supposed to say. Don't, don't worry about it. Let's go on. Um, so he goes down in this pit and uh, to fight this lion. And it just makes me nervous when I read it because that's crazy. 
Sometimes when you go hiking, do you ever hike like out in Rapid City or something? They'll have signs up, beware of mountain lions. I don't want to see a mountain lion on a hike. How about you? They're like nasty. Cats bug me. Big ones really bug me. They're like, something about them is not cuddly and sweet. I don't like the little version, much less the big version, you know? And so, so I, I get real nervous about their, 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 their ability to basically make me their lunch. And so he goes down into this snowy pit. There's no way to escape. It's slippery. You're facing off this lion. Basically, the only way you're going to get out of that thing is to kill him and use the lion like a stepladder or something. One Sunday last year, we had a little snowstorm. I don't know if you remember here. Uh, happens frequently. We have these snowstorms. Um, as a pastor, I notice how frequently they happen on Sundays. Anyway, um, and we had four or five people just do the big fall in the parking lot because it was slippery, you know, and that day. And uh, I was thinking about this in a line, in a pit with a line on a snowy day, <laughs> how slick they had to be. And then I thought further on this, and I remember as a young lad, I, I, I grew up in Brooklyn Park. I lived about a quarter mile off the Mississippi River. And uh, so I, right below the Coon Rapids Dam, and none of you know what I'm talking about. You can look it up if you want. But I grew up there in that, that na- neighborhood, and I would make my way down to the Mississippi all the time. It was like a magnet to me, man. I mean, I'm going to go down there, and I'm going to hang out, fish and swim and all that kind of stuff. And, and so I, I remember going down there frequently when it was like snowing. And there was a steep embankment. embankment. I think you have to tell me that, right? Okay. So you couldn't get it back out of there. You would slip and fall. You'd have to grab little shrubs and pull yourself up and eventually to get back out. So I'm thinking of Benaiah in the pit when it's snowing out, fighting a line. And I'm thinking, that's crazy. There's no way out except to kill this line. I think that's the point. A valiant fighter leaves no escape route. This forces a confrontation with your line. And you've got to face up to it. If you're in a slippery pit... With an adversary, you got to do battle and come out on the winning side and get out of that predicament. Listen, beloved in Jesus, listen to my heart for a minute. You and I are called to be valiant fighters, and we're called to face off our lions, whatever they may be. And we need to go into what I call pit mindset and say, I'm just, in fact, I may go out of my way just to get this thing addressed in my life. And I will go down in that slippery pit and I will face it until I come out victorious, defeating that issue. So let me talk a little bit about what is your line, because that's the challenge here. What is your line? Will you go into pit mindset and fight it becomes the question. Here's an example, I think, of a, of a line that we all face at some point in one degree to another. Just one example of many I could have used, but limited by time, so I'm going to use one example. Fear. Fear is this huge line that all of us will face in some form, at some place, at some time in our lives. The pandemic we just went through and still are in, especially worldwide, has instilled fear in so many people for various reasons. I've never experienced social anxiety before. Now I do. The other day I went shopping. Uh, where was I at? Walmart. Couldn't remember where it was at. And I thought, no one's wearing masks. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> is this okay? You know, I still carry it around in my pocket. I've had the, both vaccinations. I think I'm, you know, both shots. I'm cool. Like, but I'm nervous. Anybody relating to me on this? It's just a weird, different kind of, of feeling. 
Um, but the line of fear that we deal with is so much bigger than that. Think about this. We got this huge cultural war going on right now. It, it's been going on for a long time. And I, I, I tell you what, if you would have talked to me 15 years ago, when I was still back at New Hope in Williston, and you would have said to me or asked me this question, Pastor Steve, how many people do you think really have a biblical worldview? I would have said five, maybe 10% at the most. Recently, a Barna report came out. Pastor Ryan, I think, quoted that a couple weeks ago too. Right now, there's 6%, they estimate, in our country, 6% of the population has a biblical worldview. It's not very much, is it? We're definitely in the minority. If you really believe the Bible and believe the stories of the Bible and believe the truth of the Bible, we're in a distinct minority. This does not surprise me because I really think this has been a problem going on a long time. Now we're just seeing it kind of escalate and we're seeing some of the natural consequences of it. It's like there's an acceleration of moral decay happening before our very eyes right now, but it's been going on, friends, for a long time. Amen? And God is calling his people to engage to engage, because we're in it whether we want to be or not. We're like John McLean. It's, it's all around us. We're in, we're, we could say in the wrong spot at the wrong time, but God doesn't work that way. He, he's raised us up for just a time such as this, amen? So we're in the right spot at the right time because we serve our God who knows what's going on. And so we have to face off this thing called fear. And right now what's happening is so much of our culture is trying to use fear to manipulate parts of our culture. Would you agree with me on that? If you don't believe what we believe, then we're going to cancel you. Have you heard this terminology? And I understand some of that thinking. But now, you know, it's being used as this repressive tool for anyone that has a biblical worldview. We're going to cancel you. What they mean by that is we're going to try to destroy your life. We're going to try to wreck your reputation, make sure you lose your job, and whatever. And I think, okay, there's nothing but a spirit of fear going on there. They're just trying to manipulate and control by a spirit of fear. And we, as God's people, we can't succumb uh, uh, to, to fear. And then we have personal fears going on, don't we? Um, you know, you might be in a relationship that's a little bit sketchy and you're worrying, oh, God, what's going to happen here? Uh, maybe one of your family members is dealing with cancer. That's always difficult, isn't it? And maybe you've just gone through the loss of a loved one or death and that just kind of rocks your world. I know for me, I'm going along, I'm thinking I'm one healthy guy until four surgeries later, I'm going, what is going on? Amen? And all of a sudden, I don't have a lot of trust in physical anymore. I'm thinking, I'm kind of a mess. I thought I was in good shape, but evidently I am not, whether it be bad genetics or just too much anxiety or whatever, or ate too much red meat. I don't know. You know what I mean? I'm just joking. You follow what I'm saying? And we have these things that cause fear. And then I think of the scripture. How much scripture addresses this line? It's all kinds of scripture. For God has not given us a spirit of fear but of love, power, and a sound mind. We need people with a sound mind right now. Amen? Because there's lots of craziness going on. And and then I think about this. Jesus basically, uh, you know, his love casts out fear. My perfect love casts out fear. So the more we're in this great relationship with Jesus, the more our fear is cast out. Right? Um, And then we think about this scripture. I've quoted this one to myself a lot. Who by worry 
can add a single hour to their life. Who by worry? Worry does you no good. It just destroys your soul. And then I think uh, this uh, one is that, uh, uh, you know, fear not because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And so, do you think God can be canceled? No, he can't be canceled. Do you think he's been through some of this before with his creation? Yeah. So I, I really don't have a lot of worry here. I just want to be the valiant fighter that God has called me to be in this generation. How about you? So will you step up? Will you be that valiant fighter? I find myself hoping it all just goes away. It won't. I'm John McLean here. I'm in this thing whether I want to be reluctant or not. We're probably going to get a little bloodied up and beaten up, but you know our God is greater. So we have these fear things on pandemic level, a social, social kind of level and personal level, but we have to trust that God is greater and we need to just go into this thing with a pit, you know, mindset and face off the lion because fear is a tactic of our enemy the devil. He wants God's people to cower and be fearful and to be silenced and to be uninvolved and to just try to exist. Uh-uh. We won't stand for that. Amen? Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. All right. So what's your line? Will you do battle? Let's go on to one other thing we can learn from Benaniah. His story is like that of David's in a second example. Benaniah killed a giant. We don't know much about this Egyptian giant. If we go over to First Chronicles 11, we're told that he was seven and a half feet tall. That's a big guy. And he had a big spear, evidently, but didn't do him any good because Benaiah just grabbed the spear and used it against him. Um, here's where I want to go with this. Oftentimes, a valiant fighter will have to stand against improbable odds is all. Just think about that. We're going to frequently, God's people are called to stand against improbable odds. If I was... Benaiah, I would have thought, this is crazy. You have a club, you have a big spear, but you know, the valiant fighter in God doesn't look at those kind of odds. He looks at who God is and how mighty God is. And David and Benaiah shared this commonality. They both had this big view of what God could do that overshadowed then the problems and the giants that were coming against them in their lives. And I think for us as the people of God, we need to take away that big thought is that If God is magnified in our lives, the bigger we make God, the smaller those problems become and the more perspective we have in facing them. David, let me give you an example how David David did a lot of self-talk. If you read the Psalms, he did a lot of this, talking about how great was God. You could just see him working himself into what I call a godly, holy frenzy about who God is and how great he is. Psalm 108 happens to be just such an example. David begins that psalm by saying, my heart is steadfast, O God. What David is saying is, I have a holy fixation on you, God, and on you alone. If we want to be valiant warriors, people of God, we have to have a holy fixation on our God and how big and able he is. And then David goes on in that psalm, and, and, and he says uh, this next, I will sing and make music with all my soul. What he's saying there is, God, you have captured my heart. I'm all in. I'm 100% engaged. I worship you with all my being. If we're going to be valiant fighters for the cause of Jesus Christ, we've got to be all in. We've got to be fully engaged. Amen? And things like the pandemic, things like cultural wars, all these things, they provide God's people with an opportunity to be fully engaged, don't they? Where we will trust God and be reliant upon God. And then the psalm goes on to say, Awake, harper, liar, I will awaken the dawn. What David is saying is, God, you will be my first thought in the morning. I'm just going to dwell on you, God. 
And I think if we're going to be valiant fighters in the the cause of Jesus Christ, we just got to think on God a lot and trust in God a lot. Amen? And then David goes on and says this as this this Psalm 108 continues. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens and let your glory be over all the earth. What is David doing here? God is becoming like huge, amen, in his sight. And I tell you what, people of God, if we're going to be the people God calls us to be, if we're going to be valiant fighters in the culture we find ourselves in, God had better be big in our sight. Take time. Just magnify God. So as God has magnified, problems will come into the right perspective. So what is a giant in your life? This is the application. Do you see that God's bigger than that? Do you see God as bigger? My heart's on fire for these things because... By nature, I'm just kind of this individual. Are you like that? And God, God is trying to rein it in in a good way, in a positive way, in a, you know, what I call a kingdom-promoting kind of way. You know, there's, there, there, there's, there's many facets to our God. There's this, you know, he's love. He's, he, he, you know, it's a characteristic of him is love, right? And he brings peace and all those things are so important. But he's also courageous. He's also valiant. And that's what I want us to understand today as his people. There's a courageous, valiant side to our faith that the people of God need to step into. Because if we don't, we're not going to be the salt and light that God has called us to be in our culture. Irwin McManus, I love him. He wrote a, a book called The Barbarian Way. And I love what he said in there. He was kind of chastising one of his uh, parishioners because they were praying for safety and he said don't pray to be safe never pray to be safe pray that you're in the center of God's will and he said that may be the most unsafe place you can be but it's the best place to be and we need as people God to realize we are indeed in a war with the enemy of God Satan and we need to pray for the will of God to be accomplished. And that doesn't necessarily mean our lives will be comfortable or safe or easy, but they'll be the best they can be. God is calling his people to be valiant and to be valiant fighters for his cause. I love how Psalm 108 ends. Uh, King David says this, and I'm using the King James Version of the Bible. Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Through God we shall do valiantly. For it is he who shall tread down our enemies. So ultimately in this thing, we just have to cast our cares upon God and trust in him. Amen? So whatever you're facing, whatever lion, whatever giant, whatever's going on in culture, whatever's going on with a pandemic, whatever's happening in the world, we just have to trust in our God. Amen? And he will do valiantly. Let's pray. And we have a song to close with today. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for... uh, Benaiah today and for his example of what it means to be a valiant fighter. Uh, It's really a different message, Lord, but I think it's of you. Seems to me like we're coming around to this kind of concept frequently here at Grace Point over the last uh, few months, Lord, that there's this this side that we're called to be, um, you know, in the battle, like Ephesians ends with us putting on the armor of God. That implies that we're going to do battle. As Pastor Aaron shared about, you know, after the Ephesians series, you know, we are called to engage and, and, and be involved in the battle that's afoot. And I, I just, I, I think of Benaiah today, 
This, this dude evidently, he just looked for it almost. I mean, who jumps down into a pit with a lion? I mean, it's just like, okay, he was his valiant fighter and he had a heart after his King David whom he loved and he just wanted to be like him. And so he just went into the battle and that, with that, just kind of that enthusiasm, Lord. And I think sometimes um, we're all more a bit like this uh, Willis character of John McClane. The battle's upon us and we reluctantly go into it. And I, I just pray, Lord, whether we're reluctantly going into this or enthusiastically going into what lies ahead, no matter what, what's, what's going on, that we will engage and we'll, and we'll, we'll trust in you, God. And we know that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we know, God, that you can't be canceled. And we understand, God, that you often work the most mighty from the margins of culture. You're this God of the margins. Frequently you work in a small group of people who are powerless so that your might and your greatness can be clearly seen. And so, Lord, I pray as the people of God that we trust in you like never before and that we walk closely with you hand in hand, that we face off lines in our life like fear, anxiety, you know, maybe it's anger, maybe it's hatred, maybe it's apathy, but we face off those lines, Lord. And I pray that even when the, uh, the, the, the things in life seem improbable, seem like giants, seem like there's no way that we could see an end through this thing, we understand, God, maybe that's a call to us to make you greater, to magnify you more, and to trust in you more than ever. May that be the people who we are. May we be valiant in your name, Jesus. I pray this by your blood and through your grace, Jesus. And all God's people said, 